0: Um, seeing people become accountants and businessmen, people worry about money, worry about individual needs rather than a community need. Those are generational effects from colonialism and capitalism.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Radical Narrative. I am your host, Mylon Tatousis. I just want to say thank you to all our listeners out there who are listening and subscribing to these podcasts. Those of you who are taking time to listen to these episodes as they come out. I love having conversations with you and seeing the impact some of these episodes have had. And I love the questions you are asking, uh, the insights you are sharing with us, and even the content you're requesting. So keep that coming and be sure to like, subscribe and share. This is a long-term project. We are in this for the long haul, and we wanna bring you some quality content both today and in the future. Today I'm sitting down with Saskatchewan poet laureate, Peace Akintade. She's actually the outgoing poet laureate for 2021. There is a new one incoming. She is a young Nigerian immigrant who was navigating her creative process in Saskatchewan and has some amazing perspectives on what it is to be an emerging BIPOC poet in settler colonial Saskatchewan, and ultimately in Canada. I really loved her perspective and understanding of settler colonialism and colonization in Canada and how she is navigating those spaces. So listen in as we talk about her creative process, her journey coming to Canada, and ultimately how she is creating and fostering community for creatives today and in the future. Oh yeah, and one more thing. I am still coming at you from smack dab in the middle of the prairie in Treaty 6 territory. So again, stay tuned and listen in. Super excited to sit with you because I do know you are a poet and you're doing a lot of cool work um, in in this province and in Treaty 6 territory in Saskatchewan. Um, But go ahead and tell us about yourself, who you are, where you come from and what do you do?
0: Well, my name is Pisa Kitadi. Um, I am a first generation uh, Nigerian immigrant here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I came about nine and a half years ago. we came for like a better education, um, better place to live, you know, safer, all that jazz. That most immigrants come in for. Um, but I have been doing poetry and spoken word for the past six years. Uh, it'll be seven years in December of this year, um, and, and it's a really great like journey. Just going through all of the phases from angsty teen all the way to now a more calmer poet. Um, But that's just a little bit about me.
1: It's cool how you got to write through, you know, your whole life experience of coming over here, coming from your country. Like you said, going through the teenage years and now where you're at as a writer right now. Um, So how did you decide or come to realize that, you know, you have this passion and this talent to, to write?
0: So it was during um, when we first came to Saskatoon, the Open Door Society. Um, they still they're still doing it right now, but they had programs where uh, immigrants and refugees could come and learn about art media,s and learn about different art media's in Saskatoon. the The thought process was that. Um, because you're coming into a new country by finding a community that you can go to all the time, it being art, poetry, music, drama, theater, that you're able to like get really into that community and feel more comfortable in that community. So they did that um, with the Open Door um, Immigrant and Refugee Program, where they had youths come in and learn for three weeks from different kinds of workshop people. So there was like theater folks, there was music folks, there was songwriters, there was um, sculptors, we did woodwork and um, poetry was one of the ones that I did. It really stuck, it stuck for a long time. And I just kept feeling, every time that I write, I felt like everything in my head could come down on paper. And and because of that, uh, one of the mentors, he saw me writing and he heard some of my stuff and he was like why don't you go and visit the Write Out Loud which is a poetry community here in Saskatoon and that was it as soon as I joined it was like a steady journey all the way to here
1: yeah oh that's awesome that's amazing. And yeah, I mean, it, it's really cool to see how, you know, you came here and now you're you're doing this amazing work and, and you're writing. I, I, I saw some of the samples just by researching and looking into your name and things like that. Um, but in general, it's really cool to hear how you progress into where you are at today um and i i want to take a step back and i want to position uh who you are and where where you you come from also because a majority of our audience are also indigenous people Mm -hmm. and and they're going to ask questions i would probably most likely want to know tell us about your country and and your home life and your culture and 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 the beauty of it because i do know that you know black and indigenous people of color all come from beautiful amazing cultures and i really want to center that in this conversation with you yeah
0: that's wonderful um I come from the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria. Uh, where one of the, there's multiple tribes, multiple dialects in Nigeria, but Yoruba, Igbo, and Hausa is the main three, and then it's like a tree branch, and then there's multiple branches that come from there. Um, but I come from the Yoruba tribe, and I don't know where exactly um, I grew up and lived in, but my mom comes from Ibadan state, Um, and we lived in Ojo Street. So that was uh, an area where uh, there was a lot of motorcycles. Uh, People like, to get to school, you would go on a motorcycle, and then they would take you to school. So that's how we got to school. Um, And the Ojo State was where most of the motorcycle people were under the tree. And right across of it was this huge marketplace, like a big marketplace. I might be exaggerating because I am like... From a 10-year-old's perspective, it might be different, but that's just how I see my country. There was this huge marketplace that people could come in and they'll sell meat, they'll sell um, fabric, uh, they'll have children just walking around laughing, they'll have parents coming in, and everyone's visiting each other. It was very commune environment. It was a commune environment. Um, and also, the children were visiting not as they would here in um Canada where you had to like knock you know everyone was friends with each other everyone knew each other everyone um kind of knew the in and out of the community of the village and uh there's even a line in one of my poetries that is um running around the red sand hills and that was because we lived in a area that was just fully sand hills, and they were specifically red. So the idea of red, um, the idea of brown and green are very much colors that I perceive my culture as. And so yeah, the history behind even being from Nigeria, um, because if I'm going to university now, I have to look at it in an academic sense. I've had to look at my life in an academic sense, you know, looking into the history of colonization and what that means um, in my life because of I am a product of history and one of the things that I realized was the influence that colonization and religion has in my country and what does that mean um, for me coming here and living in that life um, and being a product of it so it became a I always look at my country with nostalgia, you know, because that's where I grew up. That's where I was known. That's where I feel. I feel like there's a part of me always that is going to be there. Um, but then I always think that being in the Western world, it is, it is a bit of a blessing, um, because you get, you get to at least look at things in an objective way. All of the things that have happened back in Nigeria, um, how are you processing that? And even having the time to process that is a privilege and a blessing on its own.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And you're in your university now. And like you said, you're looking at things in a more critical sense and becoming more aware of of how things are working on the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool to hear and, and amazing to hear. And you said you're also taking time to process, like process what's going on at home and process what's going on in your life. How How is writing helping you process basically the world we're living in and how does it show up in your work? Yeah,
0: um, there was a recent poem that I did um, because of I went back to Nigeria in May um, for my grandpa's funeral and that was the first time coming there in over a decade you know Uh, so it was a weird (laughs) out-of-body experience to see everything that I saw so vividly in my head when I was a child just be gone right in front of me You know, uh, one of the things that I've had to process is the idea of religion and Christianity and what that has meant um, in Africa, because of usually um, there were religions, religions, which I have bunny quotes right now, but those religions where there would be like lizard blood and storytellers and um, witches and people that would come and they would, if you had a bad dream, they kind of knew what you should do to get rid of that bad dream, maybe burning oranges. And then missionaries came in and branded that religion as voodoo and dark magic. So coming back to my country and seeing, um, seeing people walk around in suits, um, seeing people become accountants and businessmen, people worry about money, worry about individual needs rather than a community need. Those are generational effects from colonialism and capitalism um, coming, coming into a, a country that is known for its nature, known for its beauty. So poetry has helped me kind of rationalize that, you know what is in my head and how can I put that on paper? And also how what stories do I need to tell? from this you know that it's not just me that is experiencing that my perspective is going to be different because I have Canada to go back to all about the people that are living in it right now so it's always thinking of it from the outside perspective and the inside perspective um, of the situation and poetry is that it allows you to write down all of your feelings and think of it in a rational and also personal way and to find little nitpicks of english to kind of personify how uh, i feel Uh, one way that i have tried to get back kind of my thought process and not really delve into so much that it becomes a trauma dump uh, is by personalization you know by personalizing nature, mother nature, personalizing the objects, personalizing the sand dunes, and what does that mean? What is the memories connected to them? And little things like that are like ways that I have processed through it. And I feel like I have a clearer mind now, once everything is out in the open, um, out in a space.
1: Yeah. Yeah, writing is such a powerful tool. And for, you to, for me to hear you talk about how it's, it's helping you um, find the clarity in life and even making references to colonization and how it came into your territory and your homelands, and, and you're using your writing to establish a form of clarity for yourself and even speak and bring truth to those conversations, that's really powerful because it speaks to me too as a scholar, as a writer, and as an Indigenous person here in, in North America. Um, and I I guess I want to move ahead and ask this question, um, what, what, what has been your relationship to Saskatchewan Treaty 6 territory? What has it been like and, and has it changed over the years, um, as, as you started to go through this, this, uh, development of you, um, bettering your writing and becoming more aware of colonization? Like what, what has, what has being here taught you?
0: Wow, um, I'm not going to lie. It's been a rocky journey, um with me here in Saskatchewan, I could guess I can go like chronologically how the thought process was from now a, from a 10 year old, recent 10 year old coming here to now a 19 year old speaking to you. Um, but when I first came to, saskatoon because saskatoon we arrived at saskatoon nine years ago and we haven't left um i feel like that is a important factor that we never left saskatoon and one of the reasons that we came is because of um it was known as a quiet destination a place to bring up family Uh, just like toronto and vancouver are known as like art scenes saskatoon is known as the safe scene, the safe scene you know um And so when we came to uh, Saskatoon one thing that I noticed that I felt that needs to be said is that the education that immigrants and refugees get here in Saskatoon shapes how they see the world here in Canada. And when we came out of the airport, I remember specifically that there was this taxi driver, um, and he was showing us around while we were trying to get to our house. And he kept on pinpointing places in Saskatoon to not go to, because of there were people that didn't that they didn't want us to see. You know that that was the dangerous side of Saskatoon. Like the west is the dangerous side, and the east is the better side. And as a child, I didn't think much about that until later on when I when I now started going into more higher educations in high school and actually looking into the history of Canada and the history of Saskatchewan, which we don't really get as coming in as an immigrant or as a refugee. We just get the pamphlet of Canada is a diverse, safe place and that it is a way for us to run away from whatever is troubling us. So it becomes that bubble. Once I knew about the history of Saskatchewan and the history of Canada, that bubble popped. But it was easier for me because that it popped because of I had heart. I had art, the art community to kind of ease my way into it where I could see people as people and people with art, you know, but for other communities like the Nigerian communities, learning about that fact, learning about that history, um, became a huge thing um, because of it was like the way that people are treating indigenous people was the way people are treating black people. And that factor um, really, really resonated. And it also became a issue of how are we contributing to that fact? Like where did the education stop and where did it start for it to get to that point where even Black people are seeing that injustice and not doing anything about it. And so I learned all of that at the tender age of 14. And And as soon as I found out about that and found out about the history, I applied to become um, part of the Speaker's Bureau for the Office of the Treaty Commissioner. They did a... Um, youth event, a youth community event, where they take youth from all over the community and put them in various places so that they can learn more about the history, hands-on work, to do hands-on work around the community. And then from there, you take whatever you've learned and you now internalize it and use your own media to spread the information, to spread what you have learned all around. And... So that has been my relationship with Saskatchewan is has always been re-educating and educating others because I feel like it is getting better now. It's getting a lot more better now where um, immigrants coming here to Treaty 6 kind of know the history of what they are entering into. That the idea of Canada being a, a safe bubble, a safe, like the idea of Canada being... Advertised as this utopia, is not. It's not the true. It's not the truth, and it's not their truth to say, you know. Also with, also with Saskatchewan in, in 2016. Besides those, um, those dilemmas that was happening, Saskatoon was not really a safe place for immigrants and refugees in 2016 because the locals did not really want immigrants coming in you know there was the idea of oh they're going to steal our jobs and all of that so that one kind of manifested itself so being a artist being a black african artist here in saskatoon really really was a journey you know to kind of shift through um which people will cause me on and which people will support me and want me to achieve my dreams um and it's a lot more better now. I feel like 2019 was the changing point where um, people were starting to stand up and talk about the issues and not just push them under the rock, push them under the rock, you know, and to see it as a a event that needs to be told and an education that needs to be taught. Yeah.
1: Yeah, awesome. I really appreciate you saying that. The way you have said it because yeah, it sounds like you're doing the work that needs to happen and I really want to thank you for doing that because obviously I'm indigenous and my audience knows I'm indigenous, but and we did do some podcasts in the past with with other newcomers and immigrants and and they pinpoint the same issues. They say that, yeah, we weren't educated and they didn't tell us, you know, the truth of what's really taking place in this country. And a lot more are starting to step up to the plate and highlight the the injustices and stand in the truth and i really appreciate you doing that especially in the position you have now as as somebody who's being recognized you know by, by settlers as as an artist and having the platform you have and you doing the work you're doing yeah that's one of the reasons we wanted you on the podcast because we knew you're doing some badass work out there and we wanted to position that and and get you on board with us as an ally and the support too so thanks for sharing what you shared there um, I definitely want to highlight your art though because you do a lot, right? You're also into digital photography and 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 modeling and things like that. So I want to position you as an artist, also. Um, uh, how did you come to start tinkering with with digital photography?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that was a new thing. That honestly, a lot of my work are always new things that I just happen to find myself in. Mm-hmm. I my catchphrase is always, "But wait." what more Um, that (laughs) that is my catchphrase and everything Uh, if i feel like i'm being too comfortable i always try to branch out in other ways and so digital photography um, did not start out um, with mixing in poetry and digital art it started with um, me getting signed to a a model agency and um, when they were like going through what the job is going to be and what it's like to model and to commercial modeling a part of my art kind of just it just rang a bell and i was like but it has to be more than that so i started looking into like editorial work but it never really fit what i was thinking and then i now finally um Did a collaboration with um, Gavin, and we created this um, piece where it was actually in a blizzard. Um, (laughs) We went through a blizzard, we put a bed um, in front of this field with no trees, and we had like this blanket all over, and the wind was just blowing it through, and it created this beautiful form of art. You know, it wasn't just like modeling where you come in and pose, it was creating a story through photography. So then when I looked at that photo, I got inspired to write a piece. And then when you mix both of them together using digital art, it creates a whole form of, a whole art form on its own. And I know for a fact that I am not the first person to do this, but it's an amazing thing to discover it, you know, like that in front of you. And so we posted um, the piece And it got picked up by the um, Kiwi uh, magazine Zinn in Toronto. And I now noticed that people were also doing things like that. And it was a whole other art genre that I didn't even know about. So that became a sort of um, passion for me with digital photography, with mixing in poetry and mixing in modeling, but in a creative sense, in a story sense. And uh, my newest, my newest endeavor is um, doing an exhibition with the Art Gallery of Regina to take that um, that art form and really bring it into the exhibition physical space, you know. And what does that mean? What does what does that mean to do something like that? Um, but it's all the. The basic idea of everything that I do is that how can I make poetry more? How can I make it more accessible? How can I make it more relatable? How can I make it away from the um, like the old book poetry where you read it and you don't really understand what's going on? How can I bring it into the physical realm so that when you do go back to poetry in book, you have a sense of relatability. <laughs> You know, because it becomes more accessible because you have a memory to, mm-hmm. to really attach you to that poetry. And that's what I want to do. I, that's why I always try to find every form of art mediums that I can with poetry. It's, it's all based on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you're doing a lot. Like it, it sounds awesome, and I and I really love it and how you're talking about it because you're doing poetry, you're doing digital photography, and you're doing um, modeling, and and you are who you are, and it's all fusing into basically your process and and your medium of of what you're putting out there, the product of what you're putting out there. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess like wh- when you when you are creating a piece, who who are you creating that piece for? Like, who is your audience?
0: Hmm, arts. It's partly one part of it. Like some poetry, are my the audience is me, because of a mm-hmm. lot of the poetry have to do with my internal thoughts I and see. what is going on inside my brain and how can I bring that here, um, so that other people can hear and be like, if they can understand what I am going through, then. We have that connection between us, so that's one sense of it of being a very much a um, healing thing for me, and then it just happens to be a healing thing for someone else. Mm-hmm. Another set of audience is very much people that people that need self love in a way that is reassuring, in a way that um, does not demean you. For wanting self-love and needing self-love um, i feel like the community that is always um, telling you that oh be happy that's it, that's the whole thing, just be happy. you know. But it's not like that, it's acknowledging what has made you sad in the first place and then finding attributes, finding aspects like nature to really get you into that age of self-love. So that's also the audience, the audience of the vulnerable, um, the audience of needing, needing some kind of person on stage to say that I'm going through something yeah. We're going through something, but we have found this road together. Now, what are we going to do about it? You know, how yeah. are we going to move on? And it's always an open-ended question. A lot of the poems you find have some kind of open-ended question in the in the end of the poem because of um, it's supposed to be, how do you internalize it? How do you see my poetry as? Um, so, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. I like it. I like it because I- I'm not... I love art. I, I did go to an arts college in the United States. I got a four year degree from an arts college, but I was I was in the academic program and all my friends were artists, there were filmmakers, there were actors, poets painters um, screenwriters um, people making sculptures and it was just amazing to hear like the process they go through and and one of the things that really stood out to me about a good artist and and you're saying it here is that is that they have a very specific audience that they want to work with that they want to work with and it's like this symbiotic shared relationship with them and i also love how you how your audience is really specific because there are some artists out there who are coming up who are creating their art for like a settler consumption or creating their art for um non-indigenous people to look at it and 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 see it as something that is cool and unique but i love the artists that take it to the deeper level of self and creating community and and it sounds like you're doing that and again you you hit the nail on the head and and i was loving what you were saying when you were saying it there
0: Thank you.
1: Yeah, and so so tell me one positive memory you have of of sharing your art and and your writing where where you were presenting it or sharing it and presenting it and then you're like wow this was amazing.
0: Um, yeah, I I guess with that always has to come a story because everything I say has to have a story. Yeah. Um, but when when I started with poetry. For the first two years, it was mostly um, competitions like slam, spoken word, mm-hmm. uh, and I took that very seriously. I would come to slams, I would win it, and then I would leave. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't spend that time actually talking to the people, mm-hmm. talking to uh, everyone that came, or to my other um, comp- competition. You know, mm-hmm. I would just do the work, get the rate. Go, you know, and that was my life for the, for all the two years. Then, for some reason, when I was in, in Toronto for a competition, they had an open mic where it wasn't a competition. It was just you coming in and doing a poem. You know, you can do performance art, you can have music with it. It's, it doesn't have any rules, so it can be as long as you want. Just come and share and let's all just survive with each other. So I don't know why it, I decided to go to it because of it wasn't really in my life plan um to go to something that didn't have any competition in it but I went to it and I performed this poem that I I never thought it was good enough because of um it was it wasn't competition based like it wasn't slam poetry and it was about a woman and um it's a Yoruba folklore and it was about this woman that was blind and three men were trying to have a hand in marriage and she would send them on this like impossible um, trip. And then one of them, she said that, can you build me a rocket to the moon? So the guy builds her a rocket to the moon and she enters it and flies all the way to the moon, but the guy did not put fuel well into the rocket. And so she got stuck on the moon. But when she was in the moon, for some reason, her sight came back and she could see the earth for the first time Um, and she loved it and she felt content with herself on the moon. So it's a little story, you know, the man in the moon where we have the blind lady in the moon. And so I told that story very like nervously, like that was the first time that I was really, really nervous about sharing it. And by the end of it, there was just this quietness in the stage when I was done. You know, it wasn't a loud yelling, a loud applause, but it was just quietness. And you, I could see like everybody's faces in the audience and we were just so still and just watching. And that, that moment before they clapped, where I knew that all the attention was on me and they actually grasped what I was saying and they were imagining the story in their head and I could see it in their faces. That they were imagining it some people had like their eyes closed and they were just thinking about it and the if eff- that was the first time that it truly dawned on me the effect that words can have the effect that poetry can have mm-hmm. of allowing people to because i might not have put too much details in it but every single person had a different description um of what the story was in their head and that moment and that silence really resonated with me and I think that was the turning point where I started moving into more descriptive narrative poetry that wasn't really competition based Um, and because of that I I have to say I'm here now just because of that silence and sometimes that silence I witness it again and I'm so excited that um, in-person performances are happening again because I I might experience that again and that would be amazing but yeah that's one of my favorite and most positive experience with poetry.
1: Yeah it's really cool how you like described how this silence motivated you and propelled you forward and that how that was a really amazing turning point in your in your development and in your on your path. It's really cool. It really stands out. And you said something interesting where you said that you're really glad that, you know, things are opening up again to be able to perform in front of people and 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 do what you do. Um, so I guess I'll ask a pandemic question. Um, how has the pandemic affected you as a person, an artist, and and ultimately, like, even your creations, right? Because your work's tied to who you are and your experience. So obviously, there must be, like, some sort of correlation with the pandemic going on in your work.
0: So the pandemic was a a great turning point for me. I feel like it really shifted me and forced me to think about what I've been doing because I've been doing, doing poetry now for about four years at that time. And I just started moving into more like theater based work, into more dancing, performance art based work with my poetry. And then the pandemic happened and completely like shut off that thing. You know, you can't really do performance art online, right? Um, So I had to like reshape how I think of poetry. Like, do I only think of it from a um, standing on stage with an audience source? Like, how how much more can I do with it? And that's where the idea of like digital art came in. Um, The idea of putting in like technology and using audio tracks and music tracks, like collaborating with musicians and having like EPs to come out with poetries. So Mm -hmm. it it allowed me to be innovated because it forced me to sit down and think outside of myself. So that was more in the like art base personally, it was a very strange occurrence because I've been working so hard for four years to kind of get myself somewhere in life. And then the when the pandemic hit, people for the first two weeks were like, Ooh, this is a break. So I was like so excited to like sit down and actually have a break. And for two weeks I didn't really do anything. You know, I I was just like lying down, sleeping, watching movies and it sucked. <laughs> it sucked, it sucked a lot. I did not like it at all. Um, and when the uh, application for the Saskatchewan Youth Laureate came in, I was like, here is my chance. And I took it as fast as I could. I applied for it as fast as I could because I just could not take a break. I always feel like there's so much more um, to be done, so much more to do. So now um, in-person shows are cancelled and the pandemic and I can't do that so everything has to move online so I've been doing most of my performances through zoom online which is a a, it's been a good thing because of it's very much more accessible I can roll out of bed and just do my performance and roll back into bed Um, and that, that kind of idea is great, but I do generally miss being in person because of that audience interaction. Um, and I need that audience interaction for performance art. But the person that I am now versus the person I was before will take a different approach to performance art and what that could be. Rather than it being me on stage writing poetry, how can I make it an experience? You know, So I have very much matured very much matured now um in my performance arts, which is strange because i didn't really get any in-person practice but i know that it's going to be a lot more different um this year than it was like two years ago
1: yeah yeah totally totally and yeah and i'm super glad like i I, in the intro i'm going to introduce you as a saska youth poet laureate and i'm super glad you got that because when i saw that when i saw that that you you received that i was I researched it and I looked into it and I was like, this is somebody I want on the podcast. And and it, I really enjoy talking to you as a creative because you are in this process of, of growth. And it's really cool to see it's motivating me actually to begin to like think about my own creative process again. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a good conversation for sure. Um, And I I do want to talk about um, specifically even, you know, your relationship to the community groups and organizations over the years. Um, And in particular, you recently did an installation which was available to view on storefronts down Broadway to encourage people to d- to distance and get some fresh air through the pandemic. So even through you know the pandemic, you still had a way to get your art out there, to show who you are as an artist out there. Um, was there anything that surprised you with that installation? And, and what was the process of creating an art piece that was really pandemic specific?
0: Yeah, that was such a such a like a surprise to be part of um it wasn't something that like i even perceived in my life doing an installash- installation like that you know mm-hmm. um when i got um asked with um out saskatoon when they uh they kind of contacted me about it um i i was just thinking super big i was just like okay here's what we're gonna do mm-hmm. i'm gonna have like a huge projector and i'm just gonna project poems everywhere and they were like peace <laughs> no <laughs> and, and so i now i now started doing like um, more ideas of how can i bring in community into it and when I was walking down Broadway because Broadway is kind of my favorite part of Saskatoon um, just walking down Broadway and now that everything is more open you can see so many different people just walking around hanging out it's such a great place for people watching and that's where I got the idea of um, how nice does it feel to just sit down and there's like a poetry just right next to you that you can just read as you're walking around. So I started contacting the business people um, to be like, hey, I have this poetry. Would you like it in front of your in front of your window for people to pass by? And a lot of them were super excited about it. Um, the thing that surprised me was that while we were putting up the installation, and again this was in the middle of winter, So it was like minus 30, minus 35, and we had to be walking around, um, bringing, putting up the poster. Um, But when we were walking around, other business people, other business um, that saw what we were doing, um, even though I didn't contact them, were like, hey, this sounds cool. I just know you like this minute, but yes, (laughs) come and put something um, on my store. And it was really great to see that, to see that engagement even though they didn't have all of the details they just wanted art to be shown and i feel like there's a a form of desperation now in saskatoon to have art um because we're all deprived from it you know so that was a great experience to kind of see just how much people would want to engage with art after so much years of um almost having to hide that i was an artist um, another thing that surprised me is that we had the installations was public right so that means that people were walking around with it I had 26 poems uh, like poem poster printed out and put all around by the end of it I had 16 yeah, that uh-huh. I could take back because people by the end of the installation they would just take the poster yeah, yeah. with them <laughs> and just and just walk away with it with like some people were like oh no they saw it and I was like no no it's probably in someone's house <laughs> someone. like, just hanging up on their wall yeah. and that feels so good. I don't know. <laughs> it it opened up something for me and, and it made me just like, it made me feel nice that uh, someone would go through that trouble of <laughs> taking the poster and just walking
1: away <laughs> that that's really cool <laughs> though <laughs> yeah it's like it's add it adds a different it adds a unique element to your installation piece because now somebody actually has it out there right your art is out there yeah, yeah exactly That's really cool. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And it sounds like it was a really positive experience for that. And yeah, these businesses on Broadway stepped up to support you. Um, And yeah, it it sounds like a comfortable art space. But then at the same time, we are in Saskatchewan and, you know, Indigenous people do have a hard time uh, with settler colonialism and racism. Um, But just speaking from your experience, do you feel comfortable in art spaces? Or or are there ways that they could uh, be improved uh, for, for everyone to benefit from them?
0: Not going to lie, it's very hard. It was very hard in the beginning to be part of the art community. One, because of it felt like as an immigrant, I was always coming into the community as an outsider. And it would be very much... Mm, it's very much settler based, and that's just how it is. Like they have more resources to go into art before, you know, like a lot of schools in Nigeria don't have art in them. You know, a lot of the middle school, when you do come to Nigeria, you don't have the time because you're always doing schoolwork or trying to help in the home or trying to find work so that you can afford living in the Western world. So you never really go into art. So I, I came into the arts community as this scrawny 13 year old coming in and doing like this really bash, this really like bashing poem about police brutality. And that was a shock <laughs> to a lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can still feel that effect of um of tolerance, even though it may not seem like that to them. But there is a form of tolerance of, OK, let's. But let's have a space. Let's let's allow that space to happen, you know? Yeah. And I've had to be very careful with because when I was first starting, whatever opportunity I could get to share my poetry, I would take it. Um where even if it was an organization that I didn't know much about, but um they asked if I could do like a two-minute poetry to um start off their um diversity uh meeting in their in their organization, I would just be like, yeah, sure, of course, because of whatever opportunity was there, I needed it. But now, thinking back, so much of it is stemmed under tokenism and being a Black artist rather than just being an artist, you know? And I've had to reshape my thinking that in order to acceptance, I need to know that they have looked at the work rather than looked at my skin color. Like if if they did not even see my picture, would they have asked me to come do this? You know, and it's a hard question to always ask. And it's not a question that a young artist needs to even worry about, but that's the reality of being of being a uh, BIPOC artist here in Saskatoon or even in Canada because of everyone there are some people that want to have a diversity, um, inclusion space. And because of that, they reach out to people of diverse communities. Um, but there's a difference between wanting them because of their work or wanting them just because of their skin color or to check a, a mark. Um, there was a organization that really showed me um, what it means to um, to watch your back when it comes to tokenism, because it was during the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and that was one of my busiest times, <laughs> because because people just just needed to hear another black person talk about their trauma. You know, they just needed that so much. So instead of giving them what they wanted of me talking about police brutality and how I don't feel safe in Saskatoon, instead I talked about self-love and I I made my audience, black people that was going through it, not settlers that needed to be reassured, you know? And I, I tried, and that's what I did. And that's why a lot of my poetry does not stem on just trauma dumping, but going through it and how do we come out of it very much. It's so important to not leave your audience in that space, in that trauma space. Um, but yeah, it's it's always a working process and a working journey, but one thing that I've learned and one advice that I, that I would give to any young artist, any BIPOC young artist that is now finally trying to get jobs and trying to know who has my better who has my better um, mentality in check? It would be how how are they reaching out? Are they reaching out with a sense of um, we love your work, we love what you do? Or are they reaching out in very specific times, in very specific places, in very specific ways um, to get that check mark? And the sooner that you can differentiate between those two the sooner we can call them out on it and have that conversation of it's not a right thing to do. It is not a good place to put someone in. Um, But yeah.
1: Awesome. Man, you talked about so much in that, and I loved it all. <laughs> I loved it all because part of like what I try to do is I talk about these things. But now I'm 34. I'm still in my PhD program. People are getting used to me saying these things, and they kind of just know I, I I highlight some of this stuff. But it's awesome when you hear somebody, you know, especially um, with what you do, highlighting the same problems from your perspective, and and you know, even giving advice to young people to say you have to learn to differentiate that. It's, it's really important information you're sharing with, with our audience and our listeners. And I, and I do hope we, our young listeners, really, you know, take to heart what you're saying. Yeah. And, yeah, and it sounds like you're going through, you know, uh, what you're going through as, as an immigrant here on the prairies and then being in Saskatoon. And you're navigating it very well. <laughs> like, you're navigating it very well. And I could tell that because you're saying everything that's like, wow, you know, yeah, she's highlighting that. Yeah, I see her going through that. And it's like, cool. And, yeah, even just saying that, you know, Black Lives Matter, when, when that took place in um, Saskatoon there was a lot of settler support and and now the question is is like where are they now like, yeah, exactly. like, yeah exactly. and and it's so refreshing to hear you know everyone's sort of picking up on these things and and these social issues and saying yeah we, we still have a lot of work to do and there's mm-hmm. still a lot of barriers and constraints we we have to overcome as 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 BIPOC people living on the prairies um, and I guess that would be my next question is if you could remove all barriers and constraints um, what would the most ideal project be for you? Like if you could have any everything you need to get this project done, what would you love to work on here?
0: Ooh, okay. So I wanted to do this before the pandemic even came and I never got the chance, but um, a traveling poetry show podcast pin where in Saskatchewan, there is a lot of poetry communities, but they're very um like, um separate from each other and the reason they're separate from each other is because like somewhere in like rose town there's probably two or three people that are into poetry and they are in group of themselves and here in saskatoon there's the right l- right out loud community in regina there's also a poetry community there in um Moustra, there's a poetry community but we're also separate around it so what if we just like a a like a traveling tour around Saskatchewan where we get to um, do poetry shows for like each community here in Saskatchewan and like talk to them and see how they are and how we can bring them all together here because I feel like there is no excuse um, to not be able to connect with different kinds of people, also with like technology um, being such a big thing. A lot of the artists here in Saskatoon or in Saskatchewan, they move to bigger cities to get more opportunities um, to practice art. Well, the reason is because of the community in Saskatchewan, is so separated from each other that it's so hard to find that opportunity to find work. But there is work there. It's just one community is getting most of it and the other doesn't even know it exists, you know. So finding that connection and doing, like, a, a tour around and visiting all of those communities, and you know, with that visiting, also bringing awareness to that community so that if someone in, um, like, Toronto, for example, needed someone to do a show they will know that it's there are other artists there's other poets other than saskatoon and regina there's some in moose jaw there's some in rose town there's some in kindersley you know and and someone that is living there someone that is living in that small town knows that there is somewhere in saskatoon that i can go to if i want to do poetry there's somewhere i can go in regina and that someone knows that i'm here too so just that knowledge that I feel so comfortable with my poetry because I know that somewhere in Regina, someone is sitting down and writing poetry too. And that connection, even though we haven't talked or met in a while, but there's that connection and it's such a good feeling. And I feel like it's it's a, it's a place, it's a revenue that hasn't been taken in yet. So this is my last month as poet laureate, but the new poet laureate will be announced in August. And in my report, I am going to just talk so much about the importance of connection so that even if I don't do it in my generation, someone is going to do it in, in their own term and in their own way. Um, it's just the connection is important. It doesn't really matter who does it. Um, but that project, I would, love, I would love to see it come come to place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unifying all the creatives who are out there on the prairie. Yeah. That's really important to do because I even think back about me growing up and there wasn't much access points to art. Right, very similar with your experience where you said, you know, we had to learn our one, two, threes and ABCs in the school, and art was very minimal. <laughs> and and like for you to say you want to establish these access points for everybody, right? Everybody in in on the prairie because art unifies us. Art allows us to express ourselves. It helps helps us highlight the issues. Like everything you've talked about really pinpoints, you know, the issues and and very well. And you're an artist, right? You're an artist, and and you're going through the experiences of doing what you're doing and writing what you're writing and, and everything you're saying is just like on point. <laughs> and that's the power of art. That's the power of creatives, exactly. right? And I love fostering creatives. I love like promoting creativity in, in all people and in particular in my people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thanks for sharing everything you're sharing. I really enjoyed sitting down with you here. And, and um, I guess we could sum it up with a few more questions. Um, well, with this this question in particular, what, what's the most important thing you've learned
0: Mm. i think the most important thing i've learned is that there is always going to be a support there's always going to be a support system somewhere um you might not find it this year but you might find it next year Mm. you're not really alone in your journey in your dreams in um how you are as a person because there is you know, I always say there's 70 billion people in the world. If one person does not like what you do, there's going to be a hundred more that do, yeah. um, and you just haven't found them yet. You haven't found that group yet. You know, from 13 all the way to even now at 19, I very I felt very alone in um, my my journey as a poet. But this year, I'm founding I'm finding so much like stability in the art community than ever before and I know that my younger self would be just hard struck um, by, by the idea that I have such stability in the community you know so definitely when I was 16 I felt like I didn't want to do this anymore but I always had the idea that one day I'll find it and then I'm here yeah. <laughs> and I did find it and it, it feels pretty good so Yeah.
1: That's amazing. That's awesome. And I, I wish you like many more successful years on your journey. Like you said, you're 19 and you're here in our territory. And I love that you're here in our territory doing the work you're doing. And it gives me so much hope because like in my work, I, I highlight and pinpoint the problems with settler colonialism. And now I'm shifting to like, well, let's let's find people who are making space and paving the way for a new future. And you fit the bill. And it's just amazing to hear the work you're doing in in on the prairie and you're firm here and you're doing the work here. And, and i I really like I that that's gonna help me sleep at night. Knowing that I have two young daughters coming up in the world and and that you're in the world with them. It's really cool to hear what you're doing.
0: Oh wow. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. That's such a good compliment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks for sitting with me because I this is why I love sitting with creatives because it gives me so much joy and and happiness in my Mm -hmm. life too and reminds me of my art, my process and and what I've been put on this earth to do too. So Mm -hmm. um I guess, like, where? well, yeah, let's, let's close off with, like, where do people find your poetry? Where do people find you if they want to look for you?
0: Um, so, uh, mm, this sounds very, like, very narcissistic. But if you just <laughs> search up my, my name, yeah. um, they, there is, like, uh, a lot of poetry videos out there uh, mm-hmm. posted by other people, posted by other communities that you can find some work there um, from. Um, I'm getting a website created very soon um, and you can find more uh, opportunities to kind of view that when it comes in. Um, I'll be announcing it in my Instagram. So that's s.ole.peace. Um, yeah, those are some ways that you can find me right now. Um until until very soon
1: yeah that's awesome well thanks for sitting with me i really appreciate your time there's so much more we could have talked about but we're pushing the one hour limit now so <laughs> yeah we'll have to get you again on the future to see where you're at and like you know the next four or five years because it sounds like you're really doing good and, and i'm looking forward to seeing your development as an artist
0: yeah i'm looking forward to it thank you this was such a nice talk
1: yeah thank you peace thanks for your time i really appreciate you
0: yeah no problem um, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk soon.
0: Yes. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. See you then. Bye.
1: This episode was produced and mixed by Nicola Clausen and Mylan Tatusis, with additional administrative and production support from Daryl Lucero. If you like what we do, please like, subscribe, and share. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Radical Narrative Podcast. If you wish to contact us, our website is www.radicalnarrative.com.